welcome to yet another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am your cowgirl, Christina Cook. I am the cow. Oh, I am the Indian Keith Nobles. Do <laughs> the good thing. So I have been a cowboy a couple of times, but you have okay. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not the name of the podcast. No. So. And we're here. If you've been following along and listening, I guess this is episode seventeen. I think so. I think it's episode 17. If you've listened to episodes one through 16, then you already know that um, that this podcast is really aimed towards trying to unpack the left's agenda and and sort of the philosophical basis for the things that we see in the United States today. Right. Yes. And yeah. We're trying to make sense of the insanity so people can <laughs> have a framework to, to understand the insanity they see. But Keith, sometimes societies just collectively go insane. That's right. That's right. This is one of those times society just has collectively gone insane. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Now, uh, Keith, I'm a little little frightened of today's subject um, for, for many, many reasons. Today, we're going to be discussing racism. And uh, I'm, I'm white. You are Native American, but you look white for uh, all intents and purposes. All intents and purposes. And, uh, you know, really how you look is anymore the only thing that people base all this stuff on. So, you know, what do you do with it? I'm nervous about this because of personal experiences I've had in the past being told, basically, this is not a subject that I can ever touch. Yeah. Um, being, being told that on, on pain of physical violence. Yeah, you know, so I I am nervous to 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 discuss today's subject. You're not. You're totally soaked. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Let's 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 seriously let's unpack. Yeah, what this is we're seeing and why. I I want to. I want to because yeah. it's it's so toxic to today's political climate. Oh and, yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it just everything that they're they you know the the ominous they out there are doing with this subject. I mean, there's so many different facets to unpack. Yeah. And in fact, I think we might make this into a two episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's probably, a lot here. We could probably make it its own podcast, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to make this into a two episode uh, unpacking. So where do you want to start? Let's, shall we start at the beginning where we always start? Let's define racism. Well, we had a question. We have a question. Right. Is racism extinct? Exactly. And people are going to say, well, that's a ridiculous question. So we'll talk. <laughs> Next, this podcast and maybe the next one about is it extinct? it's not a ridiculous question right and why it's not a ridiculous question right and, and it's absolutely not and and again there's a there's a few ways to look at this depending really on your definition i i think is is how some of these facets kind of flesh out so so let's start with the definition how would you define racism well i looked up the definition okay Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism by an individual community or institution against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized, and or the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as distinct to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. Okay. That's a pretty... Fair definition. Yeah, it seems to pretty much cover the bases. So yeah. um, there is no reference necessarily to any particular race um, no. there. Just talking about marginalized or minority or, or marginalized communities. Um, okay, so based on that definition, is racism extinct? As an institution, okay, it will be extinct, I am highly confident. 
why it is not extinct right now is because of progressivism. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right? No, no, no. no it's let, true. Me, let, me, let me roll with this for a little bit. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. So progressivism is a power-based system. It's not an equality-based system or a truth-based system or a virtue-based system. That's just philosophically what it is. It's premised on the notion that a handful of so-called experts can use force to alleviate the flaws inherent to humanity. A great example of this is, is Fauci, right? right? Lied repeatedly, justifies his lying by basically saying, if I hadn't lied, people would not have done what I wanted. And he says this with a hint of compunction. No pondering of the morality of that has zero, whatsoever. zero guilt from, zero, from zero, doing that. Exactly. Right. And um, we see in the judicial system or due process in the eyes of progressive is obsolete. All court matters are pursuit of power, not justice or truth or objectivity. Going to differ with you on that one. Not all court matters. It depends on who the defendant is. Well, no, no, exactly. That's why all court matters depend on these things, which right. depends on who the defendant is, right? right? But so uh, people that defend these actions because their moral standard is power, not truth or quality or virtue. All power-based systems create hell on earth. They always draw the very worst people to the pursuit of power. Power-based systems like progressivism always make the problem to be, they claim to be solving infinitely worse. Always. In practice, Always. So objectivity is the first casualty of power-based systems. Objectivity is premised on the pursuit of truth, not power. And people who play the power-based game are servants of falsehood, inevitably. Because if something is true or false is irrelevant to them, it only matters well, if it enhances their power. There is no truth. When, when truth only depends on the feelings of the person observing the quote-unquote truth, then what do you have left? Power. Yeah, well, that's the only thing that you yeah, do that's have. That's it. the only thing that is true in, in, in their, in their mind, entire that is, world. That's right. But they will point, like in what we're talking about, they'll point to authentic cases of racism. They'll point to people who authentically are white supremacists, say CC, what a problem it is. And right. you know, so you have to adopt our solution. Now, of course, they missed the whole part in the middle about what is the best solution? What solution would help people thrive? Right. Right. No, no, no. They just go right to because this exists. You have to do what I say. And that's that's the that, the power based system. Right. All right. Uh, well, let's let's I'm just going to stop you right there okay. because we skipped over a whole bunch of logical steps in between. <laughs> okay. I want to make sure that we're, we're drawing a straight line between progressivism and racism. Oh, yeah. Because that's that's really what I want to do. So. I think at the base of your claim is that racism is a power play. How they use racism, but how they use racism in this power-based system is no different than how they use abortion or gun control or taxes or regulation. Or environmentalism. Or anything, or uh, any other, I mean, not, not hyperbole, literally any other topic, right? Because yes. here's the problem you have when you have a power-based system. There's only two statuses in that society. People are gaining power and people are losing power. Right. So. A power-based system, like progressivism, produces a predatory society, right? <laughs> I have never heard it explained like that. That's perfect. No, well, that's what it is. It's a predatory society because I am looking to gain power at your expense. That is the entire game, right? Fascism, Nazism, communism, progressivism, right? We can draw it back. Hegel, Marx, Engels, Nietzsche. Right. Right? I mean, this is where it comes from. Right, the, the uh, Nietzsche. dead white German philosophers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, Nietzsche <laughs> had the whole idea of the will to power. Right, and that the only reason there are these silly moral rules is they're created by the mediocrity of society to hold back the superior Superman. <laughs> right, I, you know, I understand. Right, this is the you know, okay, yeah, this is the philosophy. Right, 
yeah, these rules don't apply to me. And and so I have countless examples. Yeah, you, you sent me your notes. <laughs> it's like, folks, there's just like eight pages of notes here. <laughs> so, That's right. I hate to tell you this. We're, but, we're but, not going to go through and read them all, are we, Keith? No, 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 <laughs> okay. no. But, but you know what? We, we have come accustomed to this right. model of, well, you're a racist, hence you were dismissed, right? I mean, that's really what it is, right? right? You're canceled, you're, right? And if somebody did something racist or not is irrelevant to the accusation, because the accusation is about power, it's not about racism. Right, it's not about, it's right? not about the truth. And it's so, not about going back to our original definition. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not no. the person holds any animus towards somebody who is a different color than they are. No, but but not only that, the penalties are completely subjective according to what will enhance their power. Right. Right. So and I think the other the other important thing to point out, too, is that racism in today's society only runs one way. Well, generally, yes. Right. Yes. Unless you're a black conservative. Unless you're a black conservative. conservative right. Right. So then white liberals can smear you and it's no problem. Yeah, exactly. And they call you the N-word all they want and they won't pay a penalty. Right. Right. And it happens all the time. Right. I had a couple of examples. We really need to, people need to understand, to understand the hypocrisy of how they use racism for power. So back in the mid-1980s, younger people probably don't know this, but they should. There was a group of communists had taken power in Nicaragua Mm -hmm. called the Sandinista. Mm -hmm. Guy named Daniel Ortega. Was in charge of that. Mm-hmm. And these uh, communists in Nicaragua, the Sandinista, committed genocide against the Mosquito Indians. Wow. Okay. Authentic genocide. Okay. Because the Mosquito Indians refused to knuckle under to communism. That was a short story there. Okay. It was beyond repulsive. Even Ted Kennedy was repulsed by it, denounced it. No. It, to piss off Ted Kennedy takes quite a bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, so people understand the level of morality Ted Kennedy had. Ted uh-huh. Kennedy in 1984 contacted the Soviet KGB to ask the Soviet Union's assistance to defeat Ronald Reagan in the 1984 election. Jeez. Right? I mean, this is how... <laughs> it must how, be where Hillary how, got the idea. <laughs> this is how low Ted Kennedy's morality was. Right? We, we didn't know this stuff. the Soviet Union fell, and we found the, the letter he wrote in the right. notes, right? But... Yeah, I mean, so Ted Kennedy had no morals, and he denounced this and was repulsed by it. But you know who was not repulsed by it and who supported it? Guy named Bernie Sanders. <laughs> right? Bernie Sanders essentially said it was necessary to advance socialism. Really? Yes. This is authentic genocide based on this ethnic group of people. They have no concept of collateral damage. I mean, that's that's they, they don't. They have no concept. They don't even care. No, no, and the whole point I'm going with this, right? You're canceling people because they did some politically incorrect skit on TV 30 years ago or whatever right. it may be, right? Right. Bernie Sanders supported authentic genocide. Nobody over there is canceling him because this is not about racism. Right. This is about power. Right. Right. Okay. You have Che Guevara. <laughs> one of the, most the one that everybody put, wears the, not people, everybody on people, the left wears the t-shirt. People on. wear his t-shirts. People get tattoos of him on their bodies. Che Guevara was one of the most virulent, racist, homophobic human beings who's lived in the last 100 years. Okay, if, if Che Guevara had not been living in Cuba, but had been living in Alabama, he would have been a Klansman. Okay. The things he said about people who are black, Mexican, or Indian right. are off the scale offensive. Right? He thought less than nothing of these people. And right. they were deserving, in his mind, of less than nothing. And let's not forget Castro and Che Guevara were, were incredible homophobes. 
Right. Okay. They joined Hitler and Stalin with having taken people who were gay and herded them into concentration camps. Castro and Guevara said that homosexuality was a relic of decadent capitalism. So, okay. you know, understand when you're wearing that guy's shirt, <laughs> what is you're actually representing to the rest of us who know a clue about this guy? Right. Right. So they don't cancel him. Right. We have laws, gun control laws, minimum wage laws that were passed for explicitly racist reasons. Right. And they still operate implicitly and explicitly racist manner. Right. Yet they promote these laws. That's right. Like- they want more of them. They don't want less. And but I have one more example. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, labor unions. Okay, so how many... I, I would shake the hand of the progressive who never said they want to return to the glory days of labor unions. <laughs> okay, and they have no idea how these unions function. Right. Right, for all that period of time, till the, the 1960s, labor unions functioned as explicitly racist organizations. They elevated wages because they created a labor shortage. And the way they created a labor shortage was they omitted anyone from working who was not a white male, Mm -hmm. right? And they did that by violence, right? If you were Asian, Black, Hispanic, American Indian, and you wanted to go work, they visited violence on you, right? Right? I mean, they labor unions worked pretty much the same as the Klan for a long time. And, and it's funny because progressives say, well, Reagan killed the labor unions or Republicans killed. No, you know what killed the labor unions? That racism got to be unacceptable. That's what killed labor unions. Right. Right. I mean, that was it because that was their whole gig was yeah. making sure only white males could work. I mean, Henry Ford was the first industrialist to hire large numbers of black men. And he hired many thousands of black men to work in the Ford factory. And the reason he did that was to get around the unions because the unions would not accept the black men. Right. Right. So it's not that Henry Ford was some great guy. Right. Right. It's that they could have had all union labor if they would have taken the black men. But the unions would not take black men in the union. Right. I mean, let's understand how just explicitly racist these things really are. That, that they cherish and hold up as models. Sure. So, you know, again, drawing a straight line, I think you just did it. You know, they hold these up as models, but I mean, there is a straight intellectual line from all of these organizations and actions taken by the progressive left since really since the, the early 1900s beyond that. But we'll just start there with the Industrial Revolution and so forth and and, and bringing it forward. I want to go back to the gun control and the minimum wage. Sure. I want to cover both of those. And and discuss exactly how because you you look at anybody who's you know advocating for for gun control is to save the black communities you know blah 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 and I I want to talk about you know how is it how are gun control laws explicitly racist help me well, well so one. for a long time over a hundred years they were explicitly racist and that they said a black man. Can't own a gun. Okay. That was literally the law, right? <laughs> okay. And after Civil Rights Act 64, after racism got to be unacceptable, those laws got tossed. And they rewrote these laws and they, they put requirements on gun ownership and geographic boundaries around gun ownership. And, and that's how they, they got away from being explicitly racist to being implicitly Racist that they are today. Geographic boundaries? Sure. Like when- uh, Any place in the country with a large black population, mm-hmm. you can guarantee has the strictest gun control laws. Oh, 
Chicago, Los yeah. Angeles, New York, Detroit, right? <laughs> you don't find those laws in Wyoming. No. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely I, you not. just don't. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, strict gun control laws go along with large populations of black people. Right. That's that's. And they, they did it, that. Is it that they are have large populations of black people or that they are large populations and the progressives have taken over the cities? No, these really started as soon as the old laws were tossed. Really? Yeah. They started drawing lines on maps around. Yeah. And setting requirements. Things like, well, if you're ever been committed of a felony can't own a gun. Right. Well, you know, and sadly and unfortunately, a great many black men have been committed of fel- uh, been convicted of felonies. Right. Right. I mean, it's these sorts of requirements they put in place that axed out the majority of black men from being able to own a gun in this country. I would argue that having a felon own a gun is just a bad idea. Well, it doesn't matter what color their skin is. I don't want white felons having them. And I don't well, want, but, but the idea there before that was once you've done your sentence, you're restored to your to full citizenship. Yeah, that has changed. Okay. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can look at um, the number of white men who are legally prohibited from owning a firearm and the number of black men who are legally prohibited from owning a firearm. Those numbers are almost completely inverse. It's like 30% of white males, and like 70% of black males. Sure. Right. I mean, is this still explicitly racist laws? Interesting. Yeah. So they just went about it in a different way. Right. Right. I was going to say something. Now I can't remember what it was. All right. Let's let's talk about minimum wage then. So. Oh, yeah. Starting at the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. 1900, not 2000. That's (laughs) something you got to say now, sadly. (laughs) No, I mean, there started to become this argument for minimum wage. And the reason it was an argument for minimum wage was it would mean people would hire white labor only. That was the entire rationale. Okay. Because if you were black or Asian or Hispanic, you would typically work for less money than whites would. Right. Uh, There was this racial animosity there that these people were acing the amount of jobs because they would work for less money. Right. And uh, which is the way the market should work. Well, theoretically. Yeah. Well, but but yeah, I mean, they're yeah, I mean, it was sold to people on explicitly racist grounds. Okay. Have a minimum wage, employ white labor. Right. I mean, it was that simple and that blatant. And it's not hard to find all the quotes and all the statements and all the propaganda. Sure. If you know, somebody can go on their favorite search engine and you'll find it pretty quickly. OK, well, right? and, so. and I mean, it's I've long argued that the, the minimum wage, not talking about race at all, but the minimum wage like knocks the bottom four rungs off of any ladder to success. You know, I mean, it makes it really difficult for somebody to, it, to reach it and get it, on that ladder. It, yeah, it makes it very difficult. Right. I mean, let's be just statistically speaking. Exactly. Right? right. If you if you don't work a W-2 job at the time you're 20 years old, statistically speaking, you're not going to work. Right. So who cares how little you make? The point is, get a job when you're a teenager. Right. <laughs> because what, that enough, that, that's yeah. right. It, it's not going to be your last job. No. It's going to be your first job. Right. Right. You get a job. Who cares what the salary is? Right. You learn to get up and go to work yep. and, and be responsible and provide value to people. And yep. then you get another job that's better. And then you get another job that you can support yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's just the path. That is the way that it works. No, that's the way it works. So, I worked in I worked in a candy store in the Manitou Penny Arcade for <laughs> three summers. <laughs> you know, I that's what you do. And it's sweaty and hot and you have to deal with tourists all day long. And where I learned not to be a tourist. <laughs> that's, that's literally where I learned that. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, my first job, I worked in the Sears Key Shop. 
The key make, shop. Making keys. You know, <laughs> okay. remember those little kiosk in the stores? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody you know, make a key. And yeah, <laughs> that was, that was my first job. Two ninety an hour. Minimum $2. wage. Two ninety an hour. Two ninety an I hour. Made, I think I made $5 and 15 cents. Oh, maybe. you were rich. I was, I was super well. I could have bought a house. <laughs> Five bucks an hour. You're just a tiny bit older than I am. <laughs> my dad telling me once when he he got his first job out of high school and he had had jobs before that, but his first job out of high school was working for Quaker Oats factory that was in his hometown in, in Marion, Ohio. And he was making $10,000 a year. Yeah. I'm like, daddy, I make that in a month now. <laughs> yeah. So it was like crazy. Yeah, that's right. But... But you know, all this, these accusations of racism boil down to if you reject 19th century German philosophy, you're a racist. Right. That's that's what this is, because well, it's about power. It's exactly, not about. Exactly. And it's not saying I want to be really clear. I'm not saying there are not racists out there. Right. I'm not saying there are not white supremacists out there. I'm not saying there are not black supremacists out there. Right. There are racist of all different groups, colors, ethnic variations. Right. It doesn't. Well, but, 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 but Keith, you, if you're black, you can't be racist. Yeah. You know yeah, yeah. And again, this is all about power, <laughs> right? right? I mean, it's nothing to do with truth or virtue or equality. It's about power. Right. And, and so all these topics, we need to understand what this is, put reacting the way they want us to react, start right. reacting with why do you need this power over the other human beings? Because essentially what they believe that their only virtue is power. Yeah. Right. And so power to them is the path to happiness and contentment and prosperity. Right. It has nothing Which to do. Which means the subjugation of other people is the only path to power to, to happiness and prosperity. No, and no, exactly. I mean, it's, it's Nietzsche. I, I That's mean, all it is. It is Nietzsche. It is Ingalls. It is Marx. I mean, yeah. look, Ingalls wrote in Marx's magazine that some people are just racial trash. Right. That's what he said. Right. I mean, this is this is the intellectual father of the progressive movement. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, this is just baked in the cake. Yeah. Right. It's just baked in the cake. But it's important to understand it's about power. We talked previously, one of our early episodes, we recounted that uh, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, when they were on their way to power, they were both not just tolerant of, but promoting of things like uh, if you were gay, transgender, transvestite. Mm hmm. Right. They were all for this. Right. Ernst Rome, who was in charge of the, the infamous Nazi brown shirts, was gay. Most of the brown shirt leadership was gay. Right. And it's not a, a you know, slander or slap at people that are gay. It's just that's just an historical fact. Right? right. Well, once the Nazis had gained power, right, they they lined those people up against the wall and shot them. Yeah. Or they threw them in concentration camps. Yeah. Soviet Union, same thing. Transgender, transvestite, gay, free love. Everything goes, hey, do what you want to do. Be yourself, blah, blah, blah. Right? Right. 1927, Soviets published a book whose title is escaping me at the moment. But basically, the Soviets said, here are the acceptable sexual practices. <laughs> and do not deviate outside of these. And if you deviated outside of these, like you were transgender, you were transvestite, you were gay. Right. They threw you in a gulag or they lined you up against the wall and they shot you. And again, this is really important for people to understand. These are power-based systems. Yeah. Okay. Just so there's this this illusion that people have: Nazi, communist, fascist, progressive. Hey, these people are on my team, and they will. Once everybody's going to live in perfect harmony. Once we have power, and it's going to be wonderful. 
Well, once you have power, it doesn't cease to be a power-based system. It is still a power-based system, right? And, and the murder just accelerates. Yeah. Because now you have people who are going to vow for who's going to be the top dog. Right. Right. And, right. and it's always the most cutthroat, vile, worst human beings. It's Hitler. It's Stalin. It's Lenin. It's Mao. It's Castro. Right. Right. It's it's people who are actual mass murderers. Yeah. I mean, I you know, and it doesn't stop. You know, last year, I think uh, Gorbachev died. Yeah. I was um, shaking my head when he died because of all the people paying him all the compliments because Gorbachev. I mean, I'll give him credit. He, he acceded to reality that the Soviet Union was done. That's worthy of praise in this day and age. Well, maybe. But, you know, the thing is, Gorbachev was a mass murderer. People need to understand that. The man was a mass murderer because the mass murders in the Soviet Union didn't stop until the Soviet Union came to an end. Right. Right. I mean, the, the man was a mass murderer. And, and we need to get back to truth, virtue, equality. Right. We need to recognize these things for what they are. And what they were and things that were bad ideas, things were unfair, like labor unions, right. well, you know, throw them in the dustbin of history. Well, and that's that's part of what we're trying to do here is we're trying to educate people into what it is that's truth. Yes. And I, I mean, and I think the thing to, to remember is, that, you know, and, and again, we started out this podcast trying to the whole thing, uh, Cowgirls and Indians, we started trying to put flesh on the framework Yes. Of the progressive ideology. So what has become really clear to me in the course of us doing these 17 episodes is it's all about, I mean, we talk about it being all about power. It's all about social control. And I mean, like as a sociological phenomenon, it's social control is we will tell you what to think. We will tell you how to act. We will tell you how to become the new man. And if you step out of line in any way, shape or form, no matter how ridiculous our edicts are, then you will be canceled. You will be shot. You will be beat up. You will have your neighborhood raided. You will be thrown in jail. You will be thrown in jail without due process. Yes, yeah, so that's what happens rot, after they solidify power. Rot under un, under the the streets of, of Washington, D.C. as political prisoners because of that. I have been. All right. So I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret here. <laughs> I have decided to start writing a movie. Okay. Okay. So I have been working on a script for a movie that's set in 2048 in the U.S. Okay. So not terribly far in the future. And one of the main features of this movie is social credit score. Going to the social credit, you know, looking at the social credit system that China has implemented. Yes. Okay. China is doing this. You don't get seen at the hospital if your credit score is too low you you can't get a job you don't right. get to bank you don't get to have a house you don't get to keep your kids okay those are already features of a communist system in communist china right okay they are starting to do the same damn thing here they already tried during covid with the damn vaccine passports obviously we've seen People being canceled for stuff they said, you know, 40, 50 years ago or whatever, if they're on the wrong side of the aisle. If you don't check off their ridiculous yeah, if you support boxes, genocide, you're cool if you're a commie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, that's yeah. it. If you support fossil fuels, you're, you're, you're dead. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you support, you know, cheap and whatever, you know, and it's just as, I, as I've done the research and have started to formulate the characters for the script and, and, the, and the plot. I'm getting I'm actually terrifying myself 
<laughs> which is kind of fun. But I, I am. I'm terrifying myself. The more I look into this and the more I realize just how far down this path we've gone. And you're right. 100 percent about power. Yes, it's, that's that's all this is. And so that's not and again, I want to emphasize this. Not say they're not racist. They're not white supremacists. There are those people out there. There are. How many of them are in reaction to what they're being called? Well, hopefully none. But <laughs> hopefully none. But, yeah. But, but here, here's the thing. By the 1980s, institutional racism was dead in the United States. Right. Right. I mean, the idea that, you know, if you were black or Hispanic or an Indian, that you were locked out of this school or this job. Right. Now, there there was a big problem here at that time. And it still is a big problem with level of education and these sorts of things. Yeah. Getting those jobs. But nobody's going to say at this, you know, 2023, nobody's going to say, I won't hire you because you're black. That's not going to happen. No. And maybe there are some racists out there in some hiring positions who think that, but those businesses are, aren't going to be in business for very long. Yeah, they're they're rare, right. right? They're really rare. Right. And I understand if you were, say, a black man, that if you go in a store, you feel like they are watching you more closely than the white customers. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I get that. And I believe that happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's got to be, you know, really crappy feeling. I know a fellow who's black. Who? This is a horrible story. He is professional, mm-hmm. made good money, had a good living, mm-hmm. had a family, right? Has a family. He bought a house in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which is a very white suburb south of Denver. Pretty right? white, yeah. <laughs> Black guy moving in. He's he's like unloading his stuff. They're moving in the house. He's walking on the sidewalk carrying his TV, and Douglas County sheriffs come up. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? No, with their guns and like, yeah, because holy moly that he was stealing a TV, not moving into his house. Oh, Lord. Right. So that stuff happens. Yeah. Right. I mean, it really does. Yeah. Right. And and that is wrong and unfair and unfortunate. You know, I mean, yeah, that stuff, it really does happen. Right. But, you know, the idea of, yeah, institutional racism in the sense that we had, say, Jim Crow. Right. Right. That's just gone. That's long gone. Nobody's going back. Right. Right. Well, and I, I, I 100% agree with that. I don't, I don't see how it could even come back. You know, I was growing up in the 19, 1970s and 1980s, and I had my share of exposure to racists. Okay. I mean, my folks were from the Midwest and raised in a different time. And, you know, I, I had my share of, of exposure when I was in eighth grade. I will never forget this. My best friend in junior high school, Gail, invited me to her birthday party. My parents told me I couldn't go. I said, why not? And she was in the Talented and Gifted program with me. Very, very, very bright. Both of her parents were, I believe both of her parents were in the military, or one of them was at least, you know, and had, you know, professional backgrounds and, and all of that kind of stuff. And my mom told me I couldn't go because she was black. And I didn't speak to my mom for like two weeks. I mean, I was I said, that's that's ridiculous. That is ridiculously unfair. And I still hold that to this day yeah. that that was ridiculously unfair and and just incredibly horrible. And I, I felt so bad for Gail. I really did because I had to tell her why I couldn't come. So it, it's not like, you know, it was completely escaped from my world, but as my reaction to my mother demonstrates, my generation was like, 
this doesn't mean the skin color doesn't mean anything to us. No, after about. Yeah, I mean, the 1970s were really a period transition. But at the end of the 70s, most people were subscribing to, especially the younger they were, to the idea of a colorblind society. Right. Right. We're going to judge you on your character, not on the color of your skin. Bingo. This is a mortal threat to progressivism. Yeah. Right. Because it is the opposite of a power based system. Then they don't have any subgroups to exploit. They don't have they don't have. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. There's no power in treating people with equality. Right. That's the bottom line. I mean, seriously, people need to understand this. God, that's sad. That. Yeah. Yeah. There's no power. Yeah. In treating people with equality. And that's why progressivism finds equality and virtue and truth to be their mortal enemies. Right. Which is exactly why those are the grounds we fight this on, not on competing for power. Right. You compete with power with these people. They've been doing this for 180 years. You will lose. You're, yeah, you're they're doing, just way better you're at You're doing exactly what they want you to do. Somebody, right. sadly, you know, Republican, <laughs> told me this yesterday. Yes, I support central planning of the industrial policy because it is the epitome of America first policy. And I'm down proud to be America first. You, on the other hand, oppose America first, which makes you an adversary. Okay. So he supports the central planning. Yeah, I, a, I think I think you and he are probably using those words differently. Well, let me suggest this, though, right? Because from a progressive point of view, mm-hmm. once you get people, Republicans, to accept central planning, right, right, then all they're doing is arguing over something to do the planning. OK, we're not arguing politics or uh, economics today because I'm, I, I will fight you on that one. But okay. I, <laughs> um, I, I'm not in support of central planning. I am in support of of making the playground even. And I guess that's, you know, really when it comes down to, you know, the racism debate in our country, I think that's kind of that's kind of the exact same way that I feel about that. So let me make the playground even if we can. The outcomes are not going to be. Well, but, you know, let's let's at least try to get let's let's at least try to make the 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 same amount of resources available. Let's make the same amount of opportunities available, whether or not they walk through those open doors is up to them. Yeah, but it's it's a. Uh... Is that too naive? No, I don't think it's too naive. I don't think it really addresses. So like when we talked about education, right? Right. You have Denver Public Schools, 5% of Black and Hispanic students read to grade level. Right. Right. Basic problems here. Right. Right. With having government involved in this whatsoever. Right. I I mean, that's really it. Right. I mean, you want to get government out. I I mean, I'm more and more convinced you have to get government out of education. Yeah. Right. There's I, just no other. Yeah. I mean, this is no other way that these people are going to get a fair shot at life. Right. Because, again, this is all about power. Well, which would be why the teachers unions oppose school choice and voucher systems, which is why, you know, I mean, if kids actually had opportunities available to them to make their lives better, then their power base goes away. Right. Well, well I mean, so, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, if you're going to define as they effectively have. Right. Functionally define racism as uh, difference in outcome. Right. And then public redefined. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to say that some public schools and 5% of black and Hispanic kids are going to read grade level. Of course, you're going to have a difference in outcome. Right. Which is just going to turn around and reinforce their definition of racism. Right. Right. I mean, like I said, it's a self licking lollipop. So I, I guess I've never understood their argument on this one. Maybe maybe you understand it better than I do. 
I mean, it's, it's not that they're saying that, you know, this outcome is racism. They're saying this outcome is evidence of racism, yes. which I think is a, is a subtle difference, but I think it's an important difference for this conversation. No, no that's that's that would be an accurate way to put it. This out, difference of outcome is evidence of racism. It's evidence of racism. It's a, evidence of systemic racism further. Yes. Institutional racism, yes. as you were as you were referring to it. So, yes. And again, right. Um, as they how, so often do, they miss steps. Well, <laughs> I guess I guess that's my, my question is, how do they get from institutional racism to this outcome? Are they saying that we're not get, we're not paying enough money to the teachers? Are they say I mean, it's always about the money, isn't it? Well, well, it's about it's, tra- it's wealth it's transfer about, to the one percent. Well, it's about the money. It's about the power. Right. We haven't empowered the school systems enough. These are our children. They aren't your children. And if they were our children, we wouldn't have these outcomes. But because they're your children, you have these outcomes. I mean, <laughs> that's very much the that's very much the argument. Right. Right. We we don't have enough power over these children. If we had more power, the outcomes would be better. Then because we could make them into it's the It's all new man. about these parents. Right. It's all about the parents. If if the child has a subpar outcome, it's because the parents are subpar. And and if you're black or Hispanic or American Indian. You're a subpar parent because you experience racism, right? Again, it's just self-licking lollipop. Right. It's not that we're failing to teach kids to read. Right. Right. That they can't possibly conceive that that would be the problem. <laughs> it's um, it, it's a it's a little bit more complicated than that, I think, too. Though, Let, let's start with reading. You know, just from what I know about education, I think we we covered education. I think on an earlier podcast, but the the number one predictor of success for for children going through school is whether or not their parents read to them at home that is that is literally the number one thing if you read to your kids they're like 80% more likely i don't i'm making up statistics off the top of my head but yeah. it's like 80% more likely to graduate from high school or something like that here we've got a situation i'm just going to play devil's advocate for for a little bit on this we've got a situation where because of poor educational outcomes when the parents were going through school they're trying to work two or three jobs in order to make sure that there's a roof over that that kid's head and right. there's food on the table. Right. They don't have time to sit down and read to their kid. The system, I'm putting that in air quotes, but because of the system, you know, the parents are having to spend all this time outside the home. They're not able to devote themselves to the success of their child. Whereas a, a white family who, you know, grew up in an affluent neighborhood, they have that opportunity. Even... Like we talked about when we talked about education, Jefferson County, Colorado, right, is ninety four percent white. Household income just tad under hundred thousand dollars a year. Average house price is five hundred eighty k, and only fifty percent of those kids read a grade level, mm-hmm. right? It's just yeah, even there. Well, it's, and you're going to have a certain amount that their parents just flat out don't read to them. So no, I know, but but even that's it's a dismal number. Yeah, oh, it is. Right, it is. And then I I I would say that there's enough blame. There's there's enough shame in that statistic or in the DPS statistic of five percent read to grade level. There, there's enough shame to be shared by multiple groups about you know the the teachers have a burden to bear here and the school district has a burden to bear. You know has 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 to to bear part of the burden on this and the parents that you know I'm the the community that you know whatever there's there's a lot of blame to go around about why those kids are not reading at grade level what it isn't is racism okay i mean that's just i think that that's that's kind of that's the problem is the as you've said many times before they're not looking at the real problem they're not actually trying to solve the real problem now, if there's racism here it's on behalf of the government there you go right i mean that's the only place you could Place that racism. Yeah, I would agree. I yeah. mean, and and 
I, again, if, if I guess we're, we're using geography and how things are split up um, as part of that racist expression, then, then yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So go on. I told you you had to do the heavy lifting on this. Yeah. One, so. <laughs> keep lifting. Keep lifting. <laughs> this whole idea of anti-racism. Oh, you want to? Okay. Yes. So we're going to switch tracks here a little bit. A little bit, right? Okay. okay. There's no such thing as anti-racism. No, it's racism. Right. Right. It's just yeah, racism against people who don't adhere to 19th century German philosophy. <laughs> True. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really what it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you are a black Republican, a black conservative, they have no problem being racist against you. Nobody will pay a penalty on their side for that. Right. Right. We all know those people. You and I and most everybody yep. who's a Republican knows those black Republicans who have been the victim of. Oh, horrible things. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible things. Absolutely horrible things. Uh, absolutely horrible things. Right. Seen, um, you know, progressives stand in the face of a black Republican and call them the N word over and over and over. And that they don't have a problem with that. No. Nobody's getting canceled for that. No. On the progressive side. No. Yeah, it's not about racism. It's not about anti-racism. It's about if you don't adopt our agenda, you're de facto a racist. Right. Right? I mean, that's that's really what it is. I mean, we see a 1619 project and everything that's around that. Like we said before, the, you know, they are the flat earthers of history. Yeah. <laughs> right? Pretty much. <laughs> it, it's not that there were not slaves brought to North America in 1619. I mean, we, we need to... As Americans understand that, right? Slaves were here before there were pilgrims, before Plymouth Rock. Right. Right? And, and there's been a, uh, at least to some degree, a reciprocal relationship there of cultural exchange, right? Okay. Yeah. That these people have contributed to the American culture, certainly as much as the American culture has contributed to them. Right. Right? I mean, it's just incorporated into our culture at this point, what they brought with them from Africa. Sure. Right? Um, Jazz is based on that. Well, rock and roll is based on jazz. Well, you know, just, <laughs> just music even and, look at music, but yeah, just, yeah, just this idea of how things are done. Right. Right. Yeah. They, they've had a, a meaningful influence on our culture. I'm trying. Well, let me go ahead. The famous Thomas Sulfa. Have we reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born, while other people are not held responsible for what they themselves are doing today? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is it. Right. It's not saying these things didn't happen. Right. They, they did happen. And they in did. some and cases, we need to learn from them. Yeah. And in Absolutely. some cases, things still happen. Yeah. Right. Okay. But the, the, the anti racist model that if you're white, you owe a debt to people who are not white. Right. I want to know who's got their hand out between taking the money from white folks and handing it to black people, (laughs) because that's, there's a lot of hands in between those two, those two points of being. Yeah. Well, again, you know, to paraphrase Thomas Sowell, right. The idea that two babies born on the same day Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. one is black and one is white. And one is born owing an inherent debt to the one, to the other one. Right. Is insane. It's just as offensive as thinking that two babies born on the same day, the one with black skin is subservient to the one with white skin. That's just as offensive. I don't get how these folks don't don't see this. There is a really interesting, I don't know if you saw it or not, a really interesting video on YouTube that went viral. 
and a guy named Charlie Chion. Yes, I watched it. You did watch it. Okay. I it, the the title of the video, and I will actually link this. I made a note to myself to link this in the show notes, so I yeah. will finally have show notes. the The name of the the YouTube video is "What Are We Doing to White People?" Now, Charlie, if, if it's not obvious from his last name, is Asian. And it's it's probably the best 17 minutes I have spent on YouTube maybe ever. <laughs> uh, this this kid and he's he's young, he's probably in his 20s, talking about how this is no better. What's going on right now, the white hate that's going on right now. And he showed a number of examples right. uh, that he had pulled off of TikTok that were really disturbing. And, you know, I, I can't. I can't imagine that that's not just a taste of what's out there, but, you know, just really disturbing videos that have been posted on TikTok about, you know, how they hate white people and just as a general group, just because of our skin color. And I don't see how they don't see that that's as offensive as the other way. And Charlie's point in in this video was maybe we as people of color were not treated the best in the past. But we have the power now. You can't be racist to a group that has power. And he argued that, at least on one side of the political aisle, people of color have a significant amount of power, which I think is very true. And he said, let, I think the end of it was, you know, let it be known that when we did gain power, we did not repeat the mistakes that had been made earlier. And I thought that was a really profound thing, especially coming from such a young man. But the way that he phrased this and the way that he set up the the entire video is so worth watching and it's so worth understanding. And then I went after I after I watched that, I watched a couple of reaction videos to people watching this. And that was absolutely fascinating. The the conversations that happened around it. One was a a family of of black guys. I assume they were all related. Five black guys sitting around watching this. And they were just like there were parts that they were just shocked there were a couple things that they disagreed with him on, but uh, for the most part, they were like, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to stop with somebody. Why not stop with us? I, I thought it was, it's a fascinating thing. I'd like to see more of that personally. Yeah. But, I mean, have you been the subject of, of uh, white hate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I lived in a neighborhood in Los Angeles last three years. I lived in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, my roommate and I were the only two white looking guys for many blocks. <laughs> okay. And um, I would walk down the streets and my neighbors would yell, get off our sidewalks, white boy. Really? And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it wasn't too long after I left the Rodney King riots occurred. And, yeah. you know, it was completely foreseeable. Right. Sure. There was a ton of racial animosity. Well, and it's, in, it's, in that city. And it was. And it's drummed up for profit. Yeah, to some extent, it's drummed up for profit. It's drummed up for power. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's not a good, healthy thing. It's toxic. It is. It is 100% toxic. It is. I had a great live example of your, if you don't subscribe to these dead German philosophers, then you're, you're racist. Um, right. I, as chair of the Denver GOP, organized a group of about 20 of us to go march in the MLK Marade. Yes. Um, on, on, on Martin Luther King Day. No, I was there. Oh, yeah, you were. That's I was right. one of those. That's right. Yes. I forgot about that. Yes. Well, I was so shook up by uh, a certain school board member now getting within three inches of my personal space to tell me that as a white woman, I wasn't welcome. Yes. 
and this kid stands much taller than me and much bigger than me. And that was, that was a very unhappy day. It was a very unhappy day. And it was not long after that, that they started to target me on social media. And yeah, it was, it was not, which is why I was scared of this. I mean, for me, this is kind of the third rail, you know, I mean, I've, I've been threatened because of, you know, being able to say you're having said anything about anything, you know, you just, you just can't talk. You just shut down. And that's, white racism that's anti-racism no <laughs> no that, that's what it is yeah right it's yeah it's just racism right right it's just <laughs> you just put an anti yeah. in front of it and yeah yeah so ibram zendi wrote a book i believe on uh didn't he write how to be an anti-racist yes yeah yes and just so people i think we mentioned it earlier just so people are aware he gets paid twenty five thousand dollars an hour to speak an hour an hour <laughs> to so, speak about how we should all yes or they they yes. should because he doesn't speak to groups that include people like me yes um how they should all hate white people yeah yeah, yeah he's twenty five thousand hours to speak it's highly lucrative business oh isn't it though <laughs> yes isn't it <laughs> well reverend al sharpton and reverend jesse jackson well they both make a ton of money off of racial animus and they have a vested profit interest in making sure it continues yeah well and again thomas Sowell. Right. Racism is not dead, but it's on life support kept alive by politicians, race hustlers and people who get a sense of superiority by denouncing others as racist. Yeah. Right. I I mean, and this again, I'm not going to this is not to say there are not racists out there. Yeah. Right. That there are not white supremacists out there. I lived 35 years ago in a city. It was a pretty big city. It was a couple hundred thousand people. Mm -hmm. And. I moved there and this was all kind of shocking to me in a way, surprising, right? Uh-huh. So there are these guys who build themselves as Klansmen and they would get a permit to go. They were going to march in the, a particular city park. Okay. And they would do this maybe once a quarter. And there were like eight of these guys. Eight. Eight. And the leader of these guys, these so-called Klansmen, right? The, the leader, he was a grocery store clerk. Oh, jeez. And... uh yeah, so these eight guys, they would get a permit and they would go Saturday afternoon at two o'clock or whatever it was and do their little march through a park. And it'd be eight of them. Yeah. And there would be hundreds or thousands of people there protesting against them. Wow. Right. And, yeah. and they, then they would say, you know, well, oh, we got, you know, 2,000 people at our last march. Well, yeah, 1,982 of them protesting against you and you ate morons. <laughs> Walking around the park, right? Oh, and I thought, geez. well, this is just so stupid. Well, it's just it's nobody. A- nobody should show up to protest. Let those eight guys show up in the park by themselves. Oh, yeah, and let them walk around the park, and that would be the last time they would do it. Ignore them, and they go away. Yeah, it, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it was just it was just ridiculous because it was so obvious they just thrived off of the negative attention, and then people just gave them all kinds of negative attention. But yeah, I mean, I thought at the time just nobody show up. Yeah. Just let eight guys walk around the park dressed in their silly little white robes. And they do that once and nobody shows up. They would quit doing it. Right. Right. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. And it's a made up threat um, in, in in many ways. Well, you know, I, I know one white supremacist myself, not somebody I hang out with ever. But once I found out that he was, I was like, OK, we're done. You know, I don't I don't need to. Oh, I wonder See if we you know the same again. person. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. No, this is a, it's a neighbor of mine. And it was like, uh, I, I was, I was a little shocked. Yeah. And, and disappointed. Yeah. Very disappointed. But that's, I think, as far as I know, the only one I've ever actually met in person. 
So I think, and I would love it if we made this our, unless you have a better idea, if we made this the subject of our next podcast, that their claim that white supremacy is the greatest terrorist threat against the U.S. Well, if that's true, then we are remarkably low threat of anything. <laughs> this is true. I mean, that's, that's how I view that, right? Maybe white supremacy is the greatest threat and it is such a minimal threat <laughs> and we're, we should just be happy as clams because there's no threats we're to us at all that mean anything. Living in paradise at this point, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hadn't even thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, that's not how it's sold. <laughs> no, that's not how it's sold. But so. yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's not that there aren't racists out there. It's not that there aren't white supremacists out there. Right. It's that what they're doing here is for power. Yeah. It's a power-based system. Right. And everything, not just racism, like I said, abortion or gun control or taxes or you name it, is about power. And the path to power is through politics, which is why everything is inundated with politics. Right. Right. Athletics and entertainment and you name it. Right. Everything has political elements to it. Beer has political elements to it. (laughs) Well, it does now. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, this is just all ridiculousness, but it's all in the pursuit of. Power, right? Because all like I it. said, it's power-based well, systems produce a predatory society. Right. And this is all we're seeing is this predatory society. I can gain power over you by labeling you a racist. I can gain power over you and you and you by telling all three of you what to do. The two that agree with me, I've got power over you. The one that doesn't, I get the other two to attack you. I mean, that's, that's really what's going on. You know, and I, I the, it's the same mechanism. I mean, really, the mechanism that's at work here is you gin up a fear of something and then you give people the means with which to assuage that fear. Right. OK, so we saw this I mean, as an example. We saw this in covid. Yeah. Um, you know, you you gin up the fear of this, you inflate the numbers, you, you know, say that there's dead bodies piling up in Italy, you know, where nobody can actually go check, um, you know, all of this kind of stuff. You just you just make it worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So people are terrified. Tell everybody you have to stay inside your house. Yes. That's how bad it is. Right. And then you give them the ritual. You go get a shot. You wear, you know, a diaper on your face and, you know, you are miraculously saved. It's the exact same thing as doing a freaking rain dance to make it rain. Well, I mean, it's the same thing or sacrificing a bull. You know, I mean, this is it's the same mechanism. If you don't sacrifice the bull, you're going to incur the wrath of God. If you don't wear your face mask, you're going to incur the wrath of Fauci. You know, I mean, it's the exact same thing. So now they've decided to take, well, not now. I mean, this is the same mechanism they've been using for a while. They they gin up this fear of racism. They gin up this fear of environmentalism. They, you know, they gin up all of these fears and then they give you the ritual necessary to assuage the gods of that particular fear. And the way to assuage the gods of racism is to... A, don't be white. If you are white, hate being white and do do so publicly. You know, make sure that everything that you do bows down before this God of racism. Am am I wrong? No, no, you're right. And as far as education and these subjects, right? And right. I think it was uh, Frederick Douglass who said, if you convince a man he's inferior, you don't have to tell him to use the back door. He'll just automatically decide to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's it. Right. It's a lot of trying to convince people they're inferior and that will work with some number of people. Right. Right. 
And uh, yeah, it's all about power. It has nothing to do with racism. And most importantly, it has nothing to do with equality or truth. Or helping people or, you know, making things better or, you know, removing the toxicity in this in this nation or, you know, creating no, 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 unity. No, 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 no. Or... It, has, it has to do with adding to the toxicity of the nation. Exactly. Right. Because they view division as a path to power. Right. But well, again, what, what the people don't understand who buy into this, they don't understand. It's a power based system that that fight for power never ends, even after they gain power. Right. Right. It doesn't just switch off. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> it is a power based system to the bitter end. Right. Because there is no truth. Right. There is no love. There is no there's nothing else. It's just power. No. And, and you see, it's it's pretty funny. You see social media, you see these memes and people saying things. Well, wokeness is just caring about people and being aware of other people's <laughs> needs. And, oh, and, well, well, you know, the answer is OK. No, no. Everything on those lists they go, they say. Yeah. They don't need government for nothing is stopping them from doing that today. Um, right. No, that's true. Nothing. Right? And, and so. So the question is, OK, we, we know that's not what it's about because they are all about power. Right. They're all about government power. Right. It's a power based system. And there's only two statuses of people in a power based system. Those who are gaining power and those who are losing power, which is why it's a predatory system. Yeah. Right. And racism, as we knew it under slavery and Jim Crow, was a predatory system. Yep. Right. They're just perpetuating the same thing they're arguing. Against. Shocker. It still is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. All right, Keith. Well, we beat this horse. You we have more for another okay. episode on racism. All right. Are you going to clue me in on what it is that we're going to talk about? Well, then? yeah, let's let's go through a little bit of the history. OK. Of racism and racism in America. OK. Right. And how we got here. OK. And, and what happened there? Because it, one of the things that frustrates me. Perhaps no one else on the planet, but it frustrates me. <laughs> is, this is why we, we love uh, you, Keith. We have reduced the, the history of this topic to cartoon-like caricatures. This is true. And we don't really look at what happened. Right. We don't look, really look at what we assign people a status because we're a predatory society, right? Good, bad. Good, bad. Right. Right. And uh, we need to look at. What actually happened? Because there were actual people involved here who did actual things, mm -hmm. right? And had actual thoughts and said actual things and committed, performed actual actions. And some regretted those actual actions. Okay. And it's, yeah, I think it's important to, you know, let's just at least briefly, let's go through the history of how, you know, okay. how we got here. Well, well, we'll do that next time then. What is the history of racism? Yes. That is the question for the next episode. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, this has been obviously Cowgirls and Indians. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a, a uh, review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also catch up with us on Facebook and uh, let us know what you think. Until then, Keith, thank sign you. off. Thank you very much. Thank you.